Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any <laughs> Putting yourself out there as practitioners who are growing and learning. Not at all. My name is Kwame Mbalia. I'm an author. I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Bird Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all of that. All the time. I mean, he's still on the road all the time, but you know, like as a new mom. The relationship that I have cultivated from there. I'm I'm so excited to talk to you. This is amazing. All right. Uh, Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Um, I have a very, very special, I say this every time, and I, I say it and I do mean it, but this time I have a very special guest today. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit about her and then I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. I'm just going to say it and I don't care if any cousin out there is listening. She is my favorite cousin and she's just one of these people that I think ever since we were growing up she's always been like a bright spot in my day. She's always making people laugh. She's always dancing and she's always trying to make people happy and she's always been like that since she was very very little. I am super proud of her because she's always said that she wanted to be a doctor since she was like two years old and all of a sudden now she's a doctor. So I'm super excited to have my favorite cousin on my podcast today. Um, I'm just gonna allow her now to just introduce yourself a little bit. Oh my gosh, you got me smiling so much. My, my head is <laughs> like my jaw. <laughs> um, but hello everyone. My name is Sanara States and this is my very first pro- podcast and I'm doing it for my favorite cousin, Robbie. Well, you say Gary on this podcast? You call yourself you Gary? Can say, you, you can call me whatever <laughs> you want. Whatever you want. things that I specifically want to talk to you about is not just about the things that are happening in the world today, um, but I also think your story is like really cool. Can you tell the rest of the world like what, like who you are, like where are you from, Um, maybe some of your schooling, and what did that schooling look like when you were younger? So I'm from, I grew up in Windsor, Ontario, Um, but I have roots to Nova Scotia. My mother's from was born and raised in North Preston, Nova Scotia, and my dad was is from Windsor, Nova Scotia. For as long as I can remember, I would always come back home, down home, Nova Scotia. We we call it down home, and I would come down for the summer to see family and to spend time with my grandmother and my grandfather and. Like, just spend time with family. And then I began coming for, um, in the summers and started work. I got a job at a summer camp. And there I just realized how much I love it here in Nova Scotia. And it, it really is home. So I decided I wanted to go to medical school. I decided I wanted to move to Nova Scotia for school. And I knew from, since I was I'd say I don't know I didn't know for sure but I always since I was six years old um, I had this idea of medicine as a career for me and the first time I realized that it was a possibility was 
my mom took me to see a pediatrician and her name is Dr. Bury. Um, I think she's still practicing in Ontario, Toronto now. Um, and she's a pediatrician and she's a person of African descent. And it was for the, that, I can't say that that's when I decided I'm going to be a doctor, but when I met her, it's when I realized that it's something that's possible for me. And I actually got to meet her again, I think it was right before med school or maybe right before I graduated med school. I can't, oh, it was the year before I graduated med school. I went home to visit my mom because my mom was sick at the time. I, we, my mom had a dentist appointment in the building where she was practicing and I was just randomly I was like you know what? I want to go meet her so my dad walked into her clinic she had a pediatric office and he told her that I'm down for to do an elective and visiting him and my mom and would it be okay if I met if I came to say hi and she was like of course she wants to see me she remembered who I was and I got to meet her and take a picture with her she gave me a book that she wrote and it was just like kind of coming full circle with the person who inspired me and just the idea of why I got into this and why I want, like I wanted to mentor. I've been mentoring youth since I can remember. Like I, when I was an undergrad, I worked for a program called Imhotep's Legacy Academy, teaching science and math activities to youth of African descent. I wanted to be a Dr. Bury for the, pe the, the youth that I mentored. And so just having full, coming full circle and seeing her and how she inspired me and hoping that one day I'll be able to have that same experience, like where one of my youth will come into my office and, and see me. That's so cool. Yeah. I think it's crazy that so many people have stories that reflect that. Um, seeing people that look like them, that have influenced them to become something. I think that's the power of like all these stories that I think we haven't heard or we haven't seen growing up in school sometimes because often, unfortunately, our teachers or the people that we run into don't look like us or we can't find that person. So we don't have that like motivation to become whatever that specific job title is because we don't see anyone else doing it that looks like us. So why would we want to do it? I, I, I totally, I love that. So I love hearing that story. And I can tell that you love it too because like every time you tell that story, it just makes you so happy. <laughs> I mean, I just never even thought about that as a career for me until I saw her. And mm -hmm. I know that that's the reality for a lot of youth out there. If you're not, mm -hmm. if you don't see yourself in, in a job, in a career, or see yourself in anything in life, you're not going to imagine yourself there. You're not going to manifest that mm -hmm. for your life. Oh. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree with you. And I guess it's not an, an easy segue, but I think one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is to talk about some of the things that have been happening in the world um, and specifically in Nova Scotia. Um, seeing that you are right in the mix of it, um, hearing about it all the time, talking to your patients about it all the time, other doctors, healthcare workers. Can you share with us like what is COVID-19 and how serious like is this thing? Mm -hmm. Um, so COVID-19 is a respiratory illness that's caused by a novel, like a new coronavirus. So coronavirus has been around for a long, very long time. And people probably know, one that's commonly known is the SARS, is SARS that was going around in 2003. COVID-19 is a new 
um, coronavirus that um, was it's originated in Wuhan, China. That was where the first case was found. And it was back in December of 2019. So that's where, it came, where they got the name COVID-19 uh, from 2019. And so it started in Wuhan, China. And then that was back, remember, that was December of 2019. And then flash forward to March 11, 2020. And it's a world, World Health Organization names it a global pandemic. They declare mm. a pandemic. And is it serious? Like, is it serious enough that we all should be worried? Because um, obviously, I think you've seen it. I think we've all seen it where there are incidents where friends, family members, um, just people in public just feel like it's not something that can affect them. Um, how serious is it? Well, I would say it's a very serious illness. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of false ideas and things that were going around on the media, social media, when this all first came to head and saying things like, Black people are immune and we can't get this virus. So I can see where it's some of, and then there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there about this virus. So I can see where people would get these, the sense that they don't need to take it seriously and it's not going to affect them. But we see, people are seeing people, the first, people working first line in the hospital and family members who are being directly affected by this virus. It's just rising every day, the people that are being affected by this virus. And yes, the majority of people, if they contract this virus, are going to have mild symptoms. However, there is a small, there is a subset of people who are at increased risk and who may need to be in hospital for their symptoms and potentially need to be admitted to intensive the intensive care unit so get intensive medical support to help them breathe and hopefully survive through this illness and then there's also going to be the small subset of people who unfortunately die from this illness and the people that are at greater risk are those who are over the age of like over the age of 65 um people who have medical comorbidities like underlying respiratory illness COPD for example heavy smokers um, people with high blood pressure, diabetes, immunocompromised for whatever reason. These are the people that we need to worry about because they can, if they contract this virus, then their their risk of having serious medical implications is higher. And that is why we need to make sure that the people who are going to have just even the mild symptoms mm -hmm. don't transmit that virus to the people who are more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. and so we don't want to overwhelm the, the healthcare system. And you see what's happening in different countries. And now it's even affecting us in Canada um, at different hospitals where the hospitals are becoming overwhelmed. Healthcare workers are burnt out, already at baseline burnt out. And then adding this to it, to the mix, it's just, um, it's unbelievable. It's, it's a lot. Scenario, if you are one of those like essential workers, like what do you... What do you do? And like, you need to pay the bills, you need to put food on the table. Like, what can these people do to stay safe in our communities where um, oftentimes we, we feel that we need to get out, we need to work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are the options that, that they have? So for those people who are essential workers who need to go out, like those who are at working at grocery stores or garbage collection or um, delivering mail, working, like there's a lot of different, and then also, also healthcare workers who 
need to go to work. They have no choice to go to work. Um, the main things I would say, I'd highlight are the recommendations that the World Health Organization and other reputable sources have been telling us is to keep our distance from people. So even when you are at work, trying to maintain that six feet from people as much as you can, obviously some jobs just doesn't allow that. And so for the healthcare workers, there's other protective equipment that we wear like masks or gowns, gloves, that type of thing. Also just hand hygiene, like washing your hands is really, really important with soap and water, washing every, like all, like getting in there with all the fingers, your fingernails, a thorough wash. And if you can't get soap and water, then using hand sanitizer. Is hand sanitizer something that is trusted? Something that we, like everyone's using? Can you use it instead of hand, like instead of just washing your hands? So the recommendation, soap and water is obviously better than using hand sanitizer, but if you have no other option, then hand sanitizer is going to eliminate at least as much as possible of the bacteria that could be on your hands. But if you had to choose, if I had to choose between one or the other and I had all the supplies I needed, I would wash my hands with soap and warm water. Okay, okay. Um, the other thing, other things you can do is um, so now they're recommending that people wear like cloth masks or just cover their face. But even aside from that, if you if you're coughing or if you're sneezing, coughing and, and sneezing in the like I'm losing my what this word is in the <laughs> your elbow. Mm -hmm. You know if you're if you just travel. Well, actually, we're talking about essential workers. So they. But even if yeah, if you're an essential worker and you just traveled, then you need, you need to let your employer know and isolate for the 14 days according to what the recommendations are right now. Mm -hmm. um, and when you come home from work, you know, you, a lot of people have families at home and there's a lot of concern about transmitting or bringing back whatever you, you've contacted at work to your families. So just making sure that you have a discussion with your, with your loved ones, um, come up with a system that works for you, works best in your home, whether that be you change your, your clothes as soon as you get home, shower as soon as you get home, washing your hands. Everybody's situation is going to be different, but I think what we need to just remember is that we, there are a lot of ways that we can minimize transmission and spread and just proper hygiene and hand washing your hands is really gonna go a long way. So now what do you think about, and I'm thinking specifically about like our community, and I'm not home right now, but I hear a lot of things about what our community looks like and what we're trying to do to, to help um, with the cases and with um, some of the elderly there. What if I do, like we do, we have a grandmother, we have cousins and family that live there. What do we do to support them? And how do we continue to make sure that our community is safe, knowing that anyone can have this virus and we can easily pass it to each other? We just, we have to inform one another. So calling up our grandparents and telling them like, like I was calling Nana and I was telling Nana, you can't have people in your house. I know you love people and people love coming to see you, but you just have to, that sign that was put up on your door. So that's one thing that was done in our community is um, some community leaders got together and they made a they made signs to put up on individuals' doors. And Nana said that she had a sign put up on her door, which was great. So I just letting Nana know that that's there for a reason. You are at an increased risk if you are to get the virus. Um, reminding her to wash her hands, reminding her the importance of you know taking care of herself and checking in with her, um, checking in with your loved ones, but letting them know you love love them. Because Nana, for example, I just keep talking about Nana, but she's. Mm -hmm. um, she's she's used to she loves having her 
kids and her grandkids visit her. And so I know right now, especially with Easter that just passed, we're always at her house. Like all of the family gathers at Nana's house and she makes her biscuits and her pies and a big feast. And she didn't have that blessed this, mm-hmm. this weekend. So just checking in to call and make sure that she's doing okay. I know Aunt Fanny, your mom, <laughs> dropped off food to her. So those things go a long way just to let people in our lives that we love and that love us know that we're there, even though we have to phys- physically distance ourselves from each other right now. In our hearts, there's, we're still close. Yeah, and I think that's what it is. Sometimes they, whatever connection that is, they need to just know that we haven't forgotten about them and that we're open to listening to conversations. And then regardless of whether they understand or are paying attention, that we can just remind them that we're doing this because we care about you. We're doing Mm -hmm. this because it's extremely important, et cetera, et cetera. And they continue to hear that over time. I think they understand. You know how I think, I, I would probably go on a limb and say most people in our community, like we are social people. So we want to be around our grandparents. We want to be hanging out with friends. We want to be outside. We want to do all of these things that build community. Um, so it can be difficult for us to, to do all of these things. And then to have it mandated that you're keeping a specific distance makes it even harder. No, go ahead. This is good. Go ahead. And we also don't know how long this is going to go on for. So mm-hmm. it makes it even harder. Like, I, I haven't been able to see my dad like that anymore. He's because he's living with my brother. And so he came and dropped off turkey dinner for me. But it's hard to not want to go and spend time with my brother and my niece and my nephew and see them because, and yeah, I could say I'm not going to do it for now but it's it is hard to think about this could be going on into august and Mm -hmm. through the summer and not getting to see these people we don't know what how this illness is going to affect our loved ones and it's just it's heartbreaking to think that when people become ill and they need to go into hospital they don't have anyone with them Mm -hmm. and so um, yeah i that's (laughs) something that's been on my mind the entire time and i think for me being so far away where travel isn't even an option. Um, We got an email this morning from the uh, Canadian embassy, basically asking if there was anyone that would like to come home. These are your options. And there's two options. You can fly to Vancouver, fly to Toronto. And each flight itself, and it's not a money thing at all, because if we really wanted to, we felt that it was um, appropriate to, we would. Um, each flight individually was like at least $3,000 for each person. That's going only to Toronto. So, and, and with that, they do also mention that you can get some sort of funding for that based on um, filling out an application, et cetera. We, and during that, we ask each other that, like, is going home, what does that do for us? Like, we're going to have to come home and isolate. It's not like we're going to be able to come hang out and see you guys. Um, if something was to happen, it's not like we're going to be able to go and be there. Do you know what I mean? So it, those things just have crossed our minds so much. Um, but things like this, talking, like you said, checking in, messaging, um, all those things do matter. And I hope after all of this, it continues to happen because... It seems like families and friendships are becoming closer, oddly enough, <laughs> now that this kind of idea of this virus is kind of taken over so much. So, um, so you know, I have, 
Yeah. So honestly, like this is our first time, like actually really having a full on conversation about something like we talked a little bit on and off, but like this is our first time doing it. So hopefully it's something that we can continue continue to do. So now what did people do with like you mentioned that like my mom and your dad have dropped things off. Mm -hmm. So people are allowed to go outside. If they do go outside, what are some of the things they need to be, I guess, not concerned about, but what do they need to be aware about when they do go outside? And what are some of the activities that could possibly take place when they're there? So yeah, right now there's no recommendation. There's no known risk of people just being outside. Like it's not known that that will put you at increased risk of catching the coronavirus. So people can go outside and drop things off to loved ones. It's supposed to be, you shouldn't be going into the house of anyone that doesn't live with you. So you can drop things off when you get the things. I mean, I don't know if this is recommended or what, but I've been wiping things down, um, throwing out the the bags that they come in. Like usually like um, comes in like a, if they bring it in a plastic bag or something, then I usually I throw that bag out. And then there's no evidence that it's been transmitted in, in food either, like cooked food. So although we, we still don't know very much about this coronavirus, mm-hmm. but when you it's just important that if you are going outside, if you have symptoms, you shouldn't be going outside, whether you have a positive diagnosis, like a positive diagnosis of COVID or not. You shouldn't go outside if you're having symptoms because you're at that. there's a risk of you transmitting that to someone else. They're recommending that people wear masks now to, and that's more of a safety to other people who are out the, out and you, if you do for by any, for any reason have the virus, then you, it would limit you being able to pass that on to someone else through droplets mm-hmm. through a sneeze or cough or whatever what about exercise can you exercise outside so you you can exercise outside um there's been some reports like to, to recommendations to wear masks when you're exercising too because um like when you're running say for instance you're running at a fast velocity that the the droplets does they can travel with the wind i guess theoretically so you do want to if you're outside and you're exercising trying to keep your distance from people so don't come within 6 feet of another person who's walking or running on the sh- on the sidewalk either mm. i think a lot of like public places have been closed like public parks have been closed um you don't want to go to a playground for instance, because you don't know who's been playing on the monkey bars. And if there are, if there is someone who was positive and they were playing on the monkey bars, we don't, like, there's been evidence to show that the virus can live on metal surfaces for several days. So it's just, I don't think it's worth the risk to go play on a playground right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think we have to be careful on the judgments that we pass on people. So sometimes getting a, moment, a breath of fresh air is really how people stay mentally well through all of this Agreed. because there's so much that we're seeing on the news and on social media about the tragedies associated with this illness and it's invoking a lot of fear. And um, people are, I've heard people saying, you know, it's not a sense, people are doing things, judging why people are on the street or judging why they're at a grocery store if they're just picking up, I don't know, a cake or something, um, Mm -hmm. saying that that's not an essential need for them. Or judge saying you shouldn't drive your car because you're at increased risk of an accident and then you're going to demand more on the healthcare system. And yeah, all of those things make sense. But at the same time, we need to try not to pass judgment on people who are doing these things because it's their way of coping through a really difficult time. Mm-hmm. Like I just I had a 
patient the other day where a man and wife, the two of it's a daily drive for them is something they look forward to doing together every single day. Um, the pa- my patient has dementia and it's the one time throughout the day that she, she remembers, I want to go for my drive every day. And that's the time that she gets a break and she gets like her and her husband are at peace during that drive. And it would be, I would hate to tell someone you can't go on that drive and disrupt her, her schedule and her routine and make things worse for them. And so it's just important that we try not to pass so much judgment on people and the reasons why they do things. Sometimes you don't know what's going on in people's homes. You don't know if there's abuse. You don't know if they need to go outside for that walk and clear their head. Um, so I just wanted to to mention that because I see it on social media. And if anyone who's watching this see is someone who goes out for that that breath of fresh air goes for that drive because they need to clear their head. I want them to see this message and know that mm-hmm. I understand why you do it. And mm-hmm. um, it's okay. And it's, you're just trying to find the best way you know how to cope through a really difficult time for you. What are some other ways that people can continue to like remain calm? And I think I say that lightly because like you said, people deal with everything differently. Um, and for me, isolation is like, you know how I am like, <laughs> I don't mind being home. Like I just, I'm a homebody. I don't mind hanging out with my wife. If I was home and I was stuck in the house with you or a cousin or mom and dad, like I'd be for the most part, okay. But I had moments during, since this has happened where like I needed to go out and run. I needed to go out because it was giving me sanity. What are some things that people can do to try to remain calm and how can they go about doing it? Well, the number one thing I would say is to monitor the amount of content you're taking in online. Like for me, I was reading, like I was reading a lot of the stories about tragedy, the the sad stories of how this virus is impacting people and healthcare workers. And that was causing a lot of fear for myself. It was making it difficult for me to go to work because I didn't want to bring anything home to my family. Um, and so I needed to also focus my attention on the the positive stories, the good that's coming from um, through this difficult time and just making sure and trying not to focus so much on the negative all the time. So if you must, if you really want to know the numbers, like I'm someone who I'll admit, I do want to know the numbers. Um, so if you do need to look at that information, just making sure that it's balanced and that you are also doing other things to stay positive and to keep healthy through all of this. One thing I've been doing that's really helping me is practicing mindfulness. And when I first heard of mindfulness, it was something that was really intimidating for me and something that I thought I couldn't, I couldn't really do. Like I'd watch people um, lead mindfulness workshops and think to myself, I could never do it that gracefully. Personal. 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 Personal, 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 personal. But I've learned that you don't, it doesn't need to be a formal practice. You can just take any moment in your day to be mindful and be in the moment and be present in what's going on in that in that point in time. So last night I went to for a drive to go pick up a piece of cheesecake from my friend Nicole Brown and that I just I had 
a, 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 a song in my, on my radio, on, on my Bluetooth, and I kept replaying it over and over. It was just one song I like, and I played that the whole drive. And it was the first time where I really, because I haven't been out for like four days, but it was the first time that I really got to just experience outside and they're not being not to have a drive that's filled with that like apprehension of like am I going to be on time or why won't that car just move or like it was it was none of that it was just a it was a nice drive by myself relaxing and I just I just think that we should be trying to find more of those moments throughout our day so whether you're home alone or you're with family with kids when your kids are doing homework just taking a moment to to think about like what that feels like um, when your kids are getting along or when you guys are having a movie night just taking the moment to just you know think about what's what are you what, what are you feeling right now what are you hearing those small things can go a long way in keeping you well I, lo um, I love mind mindfulness because I think it's one of those things that you a lot of people from the outside often don't believe it until they've tried it they look at it and they think about it in a way like oh like you could never sit for that long or listen to something that long or like make my mind my mind's always racing or whatever it is but until you try it then your 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 mind shifts and you have a, a second opinion about it because it is definitely something that can heal you like physically and mentally heal you um, and it is something that I think whatever that looks whatever that looks like for us now it, it definitely has to be something that we are consciously doing to help us kind of stay sane because. I was the exact same way as you, like in Astorian, like I was looking at things online. I, I felt like I was almost making myself sick. Like every cough that I had, every time I'd wake up, I'd feel like I had like chest pains or like I'd like almost, the more I read about it, the more I saw it, the more I looked at my phone, I was like feeling the symptoms of it. Um, and I would check my temperature all the time, like all these things, just because I was watching videos and reading about it online. <laughs> it's not something you can like really play with. Um, and the more that you avoid online and you do more of like the thinking involved with it and having the conversations with people, I think the more you can deal with it or at least cope with it for now, um, mm -hmm. knowing that this thing doesn't seem like it's ending anytime soon. It doesn't seem like it. Um, so now I have one more question for you and it kind of leads into what we just talked about. Like, is there, um, an end in sight? Is there, um, what is the word from like, I guess on the inside about, um, how long this thing could possibly play out? I, I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Um, there's, they're looking for a vaccine. They're trying to come up with a vaccine. Um, but who knows how long that will take before it's approved to be tried on on humans. And also, there's been a lot of talk, like they're saying, until August, and then I've heard people say 18 to 21 months of this. And even after there's a vaccine, like how long do we need to continue with this social distancing? I don't, I don't really have an answer for it. Mm -hmm. um, I just think, you know, right now the world has been forced. We've been forced to slow down. And I think we need to just try to make the most of this situation. And so I, for one, I feel like I was going, like things were very fast paced in my life. Like I always had something I needed to do. I felt like I didn't have time to do a lot of things that I need to do. 
Um, and this is, now I have all this time. So just trying to make sure I make the most of this time that I have to take care of myself and to do the things that I want to do. And so I, I just hope that we could try to focus less on how long this is going to be and more on what can we do right now in the time yeah, that we have. I, I agree with you. And I think we're, both of us are in a position where we're very um, privileged in a sense where we can, we have food, um, mm-hmm. we have family who wants to talk to us. We have um, a roof over our head. We have running water. Like we have so many things that allow us to be comfortable. We often forget about the frontline workers, um, healthcare workers that are consistently going in, that are being affected. Um, I think we are in a position where we need to continue to just be grateful and thankful for the things that we have. Because again, looking at the way things are going, like those things can be snatched away from you very, very quickly. Remembering that it's okay to grieve it's okay to grieve the losses of things you know yes we you and I we are privileged to be in this situation that we're in where I can work from home for the most part there are times where I need to go into hospital I can also see my patients through zoom like we're doing now I recognize that there's a lot of privilege that comes with that um but there are things that I miss I'm missing out I'm missing out on and I'm missing and for example I was I wanted to I was supposed to visit you <laughs> I'm supposed to see you yeah mm-hmm. uh, and so it's okay for us to grieve those things, grieve those trips, gr- grieve the graduation ceremony that you won't have or the prom. It's okay to mm-hmm. grieve these things. And don't feel guilty about it. Um, they're natural human emotions. So I, um, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. I 100% and, agree with you. I have, I've had my moments. Like I, 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 my biggest thing, and I think I mentioned before, is like not being close to home during this time. It's hard. Like it's really I know like if I was home, it's not like I'd be able to see you, but like, I know it's just hard knowing that I'm so far away and this like epidemic, like this thing is happening in the world where people unfortunately are dying and they're becoming ill. Um, So those like things play on my mind as much as the other things do. And I'm happy you said that because that is a sense of like, you get a relief from grieving as well, just as much as you do from everything else that you do to kind of keep your mindset on the things that are more positive. Um, Sanera, this has been so much fun. Really, really fun. Um, We need to do more. We do need to do more of this. Um, Sanera, where can people find you online? Um, so my, oh, man, you should have told me this so I can know my names. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can just Google, um, on Facebook is just Sanera State. My Instagram, you, you'll just put it up on the screen, right? In your fancy way. I think it's Sanera, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Clearly Sanera used social media a lot. <laughs> my, so Sanera State, Robbie will put the spelling for you for Facebook. And for Instagram, it's Nara underscore Jane. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Nara, I want to thank you so much for sharing all this like very, very valuable information with us today. I, again, just want to tell you how much I appreciate you and how much I love you. Um, I don't say it. I think I say it a lot like virtually to like a message. And I do say it obviously when we see each other. But I do think it's important that that's something we do as well. Just as people in general telling each other that we love them and we care about them. So this is me sharing with you that I love you. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Not a problem. Oh.